Anyway, glad you're here today. Uh, as you know, we're in the book of Matthew, and as we go systematically through the scriptures. We're in Matthew chapter 21, 23 through 20, 20, 32, excuse me. Jesus' authority is going to be challenged today by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and that sort of thing in the temple as he's, as he's talking. They're just going to rudely interrupt him. But I want you to remember that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to constantly be challenged in life. It, but if you're really following him, you're going to be challenged. And I want you to remember that Jesus had experienced many, many types of confrontations, and he teaches us how to deal with these sorts of things. And he's, he's an expert at dealing with people, and hopefully that will rub off on us as we can deal with people lovingly and gently, although he wasn't so loving to the uh, Pharisees. In, in chapter 20, I think it's 23, he starts calling them whitewashed tombs and about 20 times hypocrites, 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 you know, so. Uh, but anyway, as the people of God, remember your authority will be challenged as believers in the Lord Jesus. Please stand as we read Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 32. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we will fear the multitude. For all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he addresses the Pharisees. Watch these and the Sadducees. This is spoken to them. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, as always, you are the real teacher here. And I ask you to soften our hearts, make us have receptive hearts for your word today. And may we hear and understand exactly what you have for us during this teaching session. Thank you, Lord, that you are in our midst right now. Right now, you are here with us. And may we sense your presence in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, as always, we mention the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And you know, every week we concentrate on the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for. Well, let's do that again. I mean, that was pitiful. <laughs> Me is the answer to this question, okay? <laughs> Me. Okay, the king is coming, the king is coming, praise God, he's coming for me. That's right, there we go, okay. Now, we've been talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And we, you know, we had uh, Resurrection Sunday already. But leading up to Resurrection Sunday, there was this last week of his life. We talked about Palm Sunday, where he received his kingship. 
And Jesus then received his kingship and he wept over Jerusalem because he knew those that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now Jesus. That same group would be saying, crucify him in just a few days. And on Monday, he cast out the, 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 the money changers and those who exchange money with the money changers out of the temple. And remember that word cast was ekbelo. And I made a big deal out of that because it was a violent casting out of the money changers and, and those who did business with them. And the thing that I wanted us to remember is today we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are to deal violently with sin in our life to ekbelo to cast the sin out of our lives, not to tinker with it, not to toy with it, but to cast it out. And then on Tuesday, Jesus is, this is, this is I think, Jesus' longest day. And that's the one we're going to get into today. We already talked about cursing of the fig tree. That happened on Tuesday. The fig tree wasn't fulfilling its purpose. It was phony. It was not genuine. It was not real. We know that the temple wasn't fulfilling its purpose. It had the money changers and that sort of thing that were going on in there. And, and Jesus condemned them for that. And also on Tuesday, Jesus will give the Olivet Discourse, chapters 24 and 25. That's going to be an incredible teaching that we're going to come up against here in just a few weeks. And it's an astounding thing that we're going to go all the way back in prophecy and see what the book of Revelation says and how this thing all relates in the Olivet Discourse to the second coming of Christ. Also, Jesus teaches from chapters 21 through 26, he addresses three religious group leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Herodians. He will have confrontations with them through all of those chapters. That all happened on Tuesday, Tuesday before the Friday he was crucified. So the religious leaders looked good on the outside, but were corrupt on the inside. They were phony. The temple looked good on the outside, but wasn't used for its prescribed purpose. It was, it was, it was phony. It was not being used. The fig tree, that looked like it was great. It had all the leaves, but no figs. It wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling its prescribed purpose. And then we went through Christians. There's many people who claim the name of Christ that go through their proscribed procedures but really don't have a relationship with Christ. So they're, they're, they're not true believers in Christ. All show and no go, all of these phonies. Now we're talking today about, in verse 23, the phonies question, or the hypocrites, I could have written hypocrites here, question Jesus. Verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders, two groups of the people, confronted him, as he was teaching. This was an interruption as Jesus is teaching. This is a rude thing that they're doing. And said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Who gave you this authority? So we deal with these two groups at this point. The chief priests are the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees are the rich. They're the ones that rule the temple. They're responsible for the temple building. And they are wondering why Jesus is in there without his permission. See, he's just in there preaching and he has all the attention of these people. But the Sadducees are very angry. You didn't get your permit. You didn't go to town hall and get your permit from us. We rule this thing. But also the Sadducees are sad because they don't believe in a resurrection. That's a sad thing. Now, the elders are the Pharisees. They're the minorities. They're the minorities. They're the judges. They, are, they select judges, and they're the judges, and they're the ones that were most esteemed by the culture. However, they were very oppressive to the culture. And there was a third group that not much is known about. These are the Herodians, and we'll run into those in a short period of time. 
They were religiously conservative, but socially liberal. Now, we would call them today rhinos. Does anybody familiar with that? Republican in name only, okay? Rhino Republicans today. Like Rome, they were, they were, lined, with, they were lined with Rome. They were lined with Herod. That's why they got the word Herodians. And they were concerned about their status, their position, and their money. And so they wanted to stay with the movers and the shakers in the culture. They weren't about to go against what was the establishment, what the establishment was. Now, these groups, these three groups, did not like one another. Matter of fact, they despised one another. Just like the Sunni and the Shiite Muslims despise one another, but they're united in their hatred of Israel. Well, these were united in their hatred of Jesus, which superseded their hatred of one another. Now, this will come on the screen, the next one, to give Maritza a heads up. This group is rich, elite, full of control, and full of themselves, and they attack Jesus. And make no mistake what their goal is. Shut him up. Shut him up. Shut up, Jesus. He's speaking too much truth. He's getting the attention of the masses. And guess who they want to shut up today? Every believer that uses their truth in the culture. These people were arrogant, and these people attacked in crowds, in masses. They never came alone. Nicodemus is the only one that came alone. He wanted the truth from Jesus. They usually attack in crowds. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and they burst into his teaching session. Like protesters on a college campus or a town hall meeting, I can just picture them screaming, interrupting Jesus. And when I see that, I think of one thing. I think of lawlessness. Lawlessness and how uncomfortable lawlessness is to us today as we see it just permeating our culture. Now, I want to give you just a side note here. This has nothing to do with the teaching, but I'm going to try to swedge it in here. I want you to think about free speech on college campuses. It used to be a bastion of free speech, remember? And we've talked about this many times, an exchange of ideas and thoughts. But we see that squelched today. And many times we see people that are quite soft, the college students today, wanting to silence those, have a tantrum because you don't agree with their ideology. And they stomp their feet and they scream and they yell and that sort of thing. Well, there's a female swimmer. Her name is Riley Gaines. Now, Riley Gaines came tied for first place with a transgender man. Okay, this guy claims to be a woman, but he's really a man. Maybe I said it weren't. Transgender woman. Whatever he is, he's a man <laughs> conducting himself in a woman's sport. So she's disturbed by this, as, as many are today. And so she goes to San Francisco, right in the bastion of that whole movement, and she, she has a license to, to, to proclaim what she wants to proclaim. She's protected by the police, but she's overwhelmed by transgender activists who are violent towards her, who want to shut her down because they just don't want to hear what she has to say. Now... I want to extrapolate from this what I think is going on. They can attack her, and they almost killed her. They wanted to kill her, but she was protected by the police, barely protected by the police. Lawlessness was abounding. Now, I want you to think about something. Matthew chapter 24, 11, and 12 is, a, I believe, a tribulation verse. When we get into Matthew, I think these are tribulation verses 
I believe today we are in the stage setting for the tribulation. We are rapidly, we're rushing, runting into this. You hear this every week, so this is not new to you, okay? So we're running into this. Now, Matthew 24, 11, and 12, which is not in your notes, says this. Jesus speaking, talking about lawlessness. Then, then, this will crescendo in the tribulation, but folks, it's rising rapidly now. Many false prophets. Now, that false is pseudo-prophesis, prophetes, prophetes. Many false prophetes. Now, a prophet can foretell, foretell, but the word also means this, an inspired speaker. So this can have a religious connotation or a non-religious connotation. There can be inspired speakers as well as religious prophets deceiving the masses. So I just wanted to set the stage for that. Though there are many false prophets will rise up and what will they do? Deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, what do we see today? Lawlessness abounding and the love of many growing cold. I think we would all have to recognize that as being truth. So I believe this, a sign of a dying society given over to godlessness is lawlessness. Their obvious problem is fear of the truth. And remember what Oz Guinness says, imprint this indelibly on your memory banks. Don't ever forget this. One word of truth can dispel a world of lies. You are salt, you are light in this culture, and the masses are going to be against you. But you have a word of truth that you are to give gently, honestly, unashamedly to the culture around you. That is what we are to do. Now, I want to tell you, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the midst of this lawless madness, I'm encouraging you, please speak the truth. Please stand for the truth. Please don't cower in a corner. Now, I'm going to give some examples here of some peaceful protest. Now, the first one has to do with an abortion protest. Now, this is just amazing. This lady right here is so passionate about killing babies. It is just screaming, yelling, hand pumping, that sort of thing. This is, and, and probably, I don't know if this is where this is taking place, but many times a pro-life person here will be speaking. That's, not, that's okay, you can leave it there. But at this per, these people will interrupt the person from speaking. Now, this is in Berkeley, California. This hero, this brave lady, goes there and speaks for conservatives, and she is being right next to where she's talking, a megaphone, and this young lady just screaming into the megaphone because she is saying something that this person doesn't like, and she's offended. Now, don't put the next one up yet. I want to set the stage. Now, the next one has to do with police violence. Now, granted, there has been some things that happened with police, but I don't think it's, I think it's the, the minor of the minor, okay, that this happens to. But this is what happens in our cities, and they're protesting violence, and look at the violence here. It, this is lawlessness, and I don't know how you feel. When I see something like this, it is disturbing to my spirit, because I'm thinking, what has happened to our country? And this is allowed to get, people are allowed to get away with this, Peaceful protest. By the way, the media said this was a peaceful protest. Okay? Now, granted, 
There might have been something that perpetrated this, but this degree of reaction is off the page. It is incredible. This is happening all around us. Lawlessness, lawlessness. I ask you a question. What spirit do you think is at work in something like that? It's an antichrist spirit. It's a satanic spirit. When a society, now listen what happens. This is what I believe happens with all of my heart. When a society kicks God out of the mainstream of the culture, lawlessness will abound. Now, America used to be called home of the free, land of the free, home of the brave. It is no longer land of the free because you do not have the ability to speak freely in the culture without retribution. This is rather new, rather new. There used to be exchange of ideas and thoughts and that sort of thing. No longer. So Jesus is confronted by the same thing, the same type of spirit. He, remember, Jesus experienced everything like us, hostile crowds. This is a hostile group that is confronting him in the temple. There will also be a hostile group that confronts him in Gethsemane when 600 soldiers arrest him. There's hostile group that are crying out, crucify him as he's going through his, through his trials with Pilate and Herod and Pilate and goes back and forth in that whole sequence. And they ask him a question. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? They're the Sanhedrin. They run the temple. You didn't check with me to say whether you could see, do this or not. And I want you to think about this. This is forceful. This is angry. This is demanding. And this is interrupting. And watch Jesus. He doesn't blink. He isn't moved an ounce. Verse 24 through 27, Jesus turns the tables and he questions the questioners. Verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, I also ask you guys one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven? Or from men. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear, and I want you to focus on that word fear, because I'm going to expand on that in just a second. We fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. They were afraid. To answer the question. So let's just develop this. Now first of all. You must realize who's in control. Jesus is in full control. Of these angry men. Who have great power. Remember they come in with their uniforms on. Their robes. Their, their little hats. And, and all the strutting of what we look like. As hyper religious people. And they're trying to intimidate Jesus. In front of the masses that are in the temple. Jesus will have none of it. Jesus is in full control, never flustered, never intimidated, always in charge. Remember, Jesus is the God-man. He has two natures, 100% God, 100% sinless man. That is Jesus' nature, God-man. And you can never, ever, ever intimidate God, never. So Jesus brings up John the Baptist, why does he bring up John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist is exceedingly popular in the culture. People love him in, in Israel. He had a huge following. 
And he asks this question. It is a profound question. The baptism of John, where is it from, heaven or men? Good question. This question is asked in the presence of all these people. Now, Dr. Constable adds this insight into this. Remember, this is Passover week. This isn't just any week. So there's literally there's maybe a million people in Jerusalem at this time. The Passover, the, the temple, because of the Passover, is crowded with people. And this guy named Urshim writes that the temple enclosure could have contained as many as 200,000 people. The Colosseum could contain half of that much. The Roman Colosseum could only contain half that much. So it's postulated, theorized, that there was masses of people there listening to Jesus at this time. And is that this, this is the setting for this interruption, this violent interruption by this herd of Sadducees and Pharisees. That's the picture. John, now who was John the Baptist? Why is he so popular? He's the forerunner of Jesus. Now, you remember what a forerunner is. A forerunner would go before a king and introduce the king to the populace. He's entering into a city. Here comes a king. Here comes a king. Prepare for the king. Prepare for the king. John was in preparation for the king. And if you remember, there was no prophet in Israel from the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, that spanned 400 years where no word from God came into Israel. The result is the nation had slid farther and farther and farther away. Then John was preparing the way of the Lord. Now we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Take a step. John did not go into Jerusalem. John did not go into popular areas. He went into the wilderness. The people had to go out to him. How did the people get out to him? There's no message there. There's no, there's no telegraph system. There's no phones to say, oh, John the Baptist is here. Let's go listen to him. I think the Spirit of God moved in these people, and that word spread. It had to spread somehow quickly, and these people went out into the wilderness to see John, and they did it for a specific reason coming up came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he had a baptism of repentance that he would baptize. He's John the immerser is really what he was called. The baptizer, the immerser. This is he in preparation for Messiah. This is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Oh, it was prophesied hundreds of years ago. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, in the wilderness, not in the city, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John was a forerunner of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, introducing the nation to Messiah. Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming. He's coming. And I'm telling you about him. Now, Jesus asked these guys a brilliant question, and the religious attackers are stumped and they are fearful. Stumped and fearful. They could not answer. Whatever they said would stir up the crowd. Because remember, John was popular. He had a lot of followers. And he even had to say, I must become less and he must become greater. Speaking of Messiah. John knew his position. So. These proud, aggressive religious leaders feared, feared the people. 
They didn't want to lose face, and they feared the crowd. Now, Oswald Chambers has this to say about fear. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Good word from Oswald Chambers. And I want you to think about it. You are the people of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You have the power to accomplish the impossible because the Spirit of God resides in you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1.8. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That same Holy Spirit that gave the disciples the ability to do that is in each one of us to give us the power to be salt and light in this culture and to stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. Okay? So with that, with that thinking, we are not to be intimidated by the crowd. We're not to be intimidated by the way the world is going. We are not to allow anyone, now this will come up on the screen, to intimidate you regarding the truth. Do not fear men and women of steel, men and women of God who have the Holy Spirit rod of iron up your spine to allow you to stand through any adversity, including this culture. Now, fear of everything. Now, I'm talking about fear for just a second because it is, it's a crippling thing if it gets hold of you. Fear of everything is crippling. It's incapacitating, incapacitating. And I want you to think about this. I've mentioned this before but you're only getting about 10% of what I say, so you get to hear it again, okay? Fear is on is unwelcome consequence of the fall of mankind into sin. How do I know that? Because in Genesis chapter 39, verse 9 and 10, when Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, had, had they could have communion with God, face to face with God. They walk with God. They talk with God. They commune with God. Sin came in the world. And that sin curse came onto all humans, and with sin came fear. Watch what happens here in Genesis 3, 9, and 10. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you, Adam? Like he couldn't see him. I mean, where are you? Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. He didn't see him. There wasn't a contact anymore. There was sin there. There was no more face-to-face -face contact. It was broken because of sin. And he says this, I was afraid. And you know the word. The Hebrew word is yare. It, is, it can mean awesome respect or it can mean tremulous fear. What do you think it meant here? Tremulous fear. He was shaking in his boots. I, because I was naked, I was uncovered, and I hid myself. Fear. Hid himself. Fear came with sin. Adam was terrified, tremulous, that stomach-turning fear that you get from time to time. And remember, watch what fear does. It causes you to hide, withdraw, disengage. He said, I hid myself. Now, because of fear, certain things have come into our world. And I'm going to list you a few of things, a few of the fears that came in. These guys were afraid of the crowd. Well, there's oftentimes people have a fear of crowds, fear of speaking in front of people. That's way down on the list. But do you know what the greatest fear came? 
the greatest fear that came in the world that everybody has is the fear of spiders. Now, we have that in our home, but in spades. I mean, if there's a spider, it's automatically, I kill the spider. I can be a hero for a moment. Yes, thank you, Chris, for allowing me to be a hero. And then secondly, not following far behind is the fear of snakes. <laughs> snakes. The fear of heights, the fear of flying, the fear of dogs, the fear of thunder, thunder and lightning. And then number seven, interestingly enough, just within our culture is the fear of injections, getting a shot. And then there's claustrophobia and fear of speaking. And it, it, but also another one is the fear of germs. Now, haven't we just been pumped with the fear of germs in our culture lately? COVID, 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 COVID. There's another one coming. COVID, COVID, another one. It's constant fear. Now listen, to live in constant, unremittent fear is incapacitating to the human being. Is incapacitating. The antidote for fear is to trust God. God tells believers constantly to trust and not fear. Now I have a couple verses that I use for myself because I have a tendency to tip over in to fear and worry and anxiety. Maybe you do too. Maybe these verses can help you. So Isaiah 41.10 will come up on the screen. Fear not. God to you. God's mouth to your heart. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear is fear not is available to everyone who trusts in him. Now we're going to develop this a little bit more, okay? So, he says, "I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will it's all God. It's all God." So I must be dwelling, I must be living meno dwelling in Christ living close to God if I'm going to accomplish this, okay? But it still can seep in. More on that in just a second. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Let's just do that together here. I'm going to, I'm going to say this, and you say it after me with vigor. Vigor. I'm going to say we will not fear, and then you're going to say, we will not fear. Okay, let's do that. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear. That's right. We're the people of God, folks. We don't have to be walking around in fear. Enter God, exit fear. Exit God, enter fear. Now, you're a believer in Christ, and you know this, but this can still happen. It can still creep into you. How do we deal with that? More in just a moment. Stay tuned. So, as we have seen God dismissed from America, fear has entered into the culture. Now, what we see today being promoted more and more in the culture, it started with global warming. Then the global warming could not be validated. So now we've changed to climate change. Now, look, it. if you're living in Michigan, you know climate change. You are intimately aware of summer, winter. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't think any place changes like this. I mean, Colorado changes. 
They think they have a bad? Good grief, it's nothing like this. Nothing like this. How, so they have, we have a fear of global warming, climate change, and then, of course, we have the germ fear. We have a truth fear where the masses are being challenged with the truth. Now, this fear is, look, at, there's a fear in our culture going through, look, at, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and people are fearing that truth as we promote transgenderism within the culture. That is a tragedy. That is a sign of a godless culture. Those people that are stuck in that, that is a tragedy. We need to pray for them. We need to, we need to empathize. No, we can't empathize. With them. We need to feel pity for them. Pray for them for deliverance from that. And, of course, you have the fear of a baby being born and how many abortions are going on, 63 million and counting, that sort of thing. Exit God, enter godlessness and lawlessness. So these guys are trying to question Jesus, to intimidate Jesus, to make Jesus fearful of them. And in the end, who ends up being afraid? Those guys end up being afraid. Jesus says to the masses in the temple, these maybe could be 100,000 people, I don't know. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is in full control. Now watch what Jesus does next. He's going to give three parables. We're going to, follow, we're going to do one of them this week. In the next couple of weeks, we'll cover the next the others. The first one is the parable of two sons. It's directed directly at the Pharisees and Sadducees. He hits them right between the eyes. You know, like Larry Moe and Curly, just bleep, right between the eyes. If you know who they are. You know. And then the parable of the wicked landowners and the parable of the marriage fee. So he starts with the two sons with two opportunities in verse 28 and 31. Or excuse, uh, 28 and 31, that's right. But what do you think, talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, a man had two sons and he came to the first. Now remember the background, he's mentioned John the Baptist, so these guys are well aware that Jesus is talking about John the Baptist here. A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. A vineyard is a picture of Israel. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he, then he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Then they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them these words. Now, tell me how these guys felt when Jesus said this. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you do. Before you, these lowest rung of the culture will enter the kingdom. These hyper-religious that thought they had a free pass into heaven. Jesus tells them the truth. So, this, let's, re, let's just go over this. Both sons are given a command, not a request, a command by their father. Go work in my vineyard today. That's an imperative in the Greek. That's a command. Please note that both the sons are loved. Both are commanded to work. Both have opportunity. And both are called to do the father's will. Now, I'm going to delineate these two sons. Son number one, tax collectors and harlots. The scum of society. Nothing lower in Jewish culture than these two groups. Son number two, the religious leaders, the cream of the crop. Highly esteemed in Jewish culture. The uppity-ups. Son number one's response, flat-out rejection. 
I will not, but afterwards regretted it and went. Now, again, the religious leaders remember John. So those religious leaders know that John is referring back to John the Baptist, that Jesus is referring back to John the Baptist's witness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message. It went all through the country. Everyone in the country had heard this. They, that had been spread all over the place. Remember, John was very popular, very popular. Repent. Tax collectors and harlots wanted nothing to do with God. But when they heard John preach, Caruso, herald the truth, in the face of opposition, herald the truth. When they heard John preach, they repented and were saved. And I want to suggest to you folks, loud and clear, salvation is a gift that is offered to all of humanity. All of humanity. There is no status there is no hierarchy. There is no face looking by God. All are equal at the foot of the cross. All are welcome. All are invited to be part of God's family. Every and all. If you're confused about that, Romans 10, 13 may help you. Okay. Everyone. Who's everyone? Everyone is all. Everyone. Every, okay. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word is, everyone is pas, P-A-S in the Greek. And it simply means every and all. Salvation is a gift that is offered to all of humanity. You've heard this before. Jesus says there's one way. Salvation is wide open to everyone, but there's only one narrow way to God. And you've heard this before, but we inculcate, teach by repetition, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus very specifically, straight to us, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few, few who find it. And then the next slide here, you're going to see the little sliver indicating the way into the light is narrow. It is broad enough for everybody, but there's one way to Jesus. And one way to God, and that's through Jesus only. So son number two, let's get to this guy. His response, I go, sir, but he did not go. Speaks of the religious leaders, heard John's message, and rejected John's message about the Messiah. And Jesus asked this question. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And they condemned themselves by saying the first. And then he hits them right between the peepers, like I said. The tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. The hyper-religious zealots thought that they were religious, righteous by their religious stuff. And folks, there are Christians today that think they are righteous by doing their religious stuff. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to take communion. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to follow the ordinance of the church. I'm going to follow the sacraments of the church, whatever your thing is, which are good things to do if you're really saved, but it doesn't replace salvation. It doesn't replace salvation. So these religious guys had their religious clothing. They had their religious sacrifices. These Pharisees, remember what they did in the Beatitudes? They said their prayers to be noticed by people. They paid their tithes and said, hey, look, look what I'm giving. 
Look at all you people. Just look what I've been doing. Tithe or their charitable works, the same thing. Jesus calls these hyper-religious hypocrites, mask wearers, pretenders, seeking the applause of men. That's what they were doing. Scripture could not make it clear. Man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. The religious then and the religious now try to get to God their way. And folks, there's one way, and you know the way. It is the Jesus way. That is right. Good, 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 good. So what are these good guys, religious guys missing? Well, verse 32, the only way to righteousness. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent or regret your course followed and believe him. You did not follow him. Jesus asked a great question. What is the way of righteousness? Now, if you ask that to people in the world, they will tell you there's multiple different ways to righteousness, and you know that is not true. It's not about the things that you have done. It's all about believing in Jesus as your Savior. John's message was simple. It was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, you know, you're good Bible students, what the word repent means. It is the word metanoia, comes up on the screen. You'll never forget this word. I've mentioned it every other week for the last 15 years. So metanoia, it's, it's, it means the journey of changing one's mind, primary definition, heart, self, or way of life. If you repent, you're changing your mind about Jesus and you change your way of life. There's no such thing as repenting and going in the same direction that you were going. There will be a change of life. So, Jesus was accepted by the masses and rejected by the religious leaders. And Jesus asks us to believe and repent. Now, I want you to, I want you to see this. In the New Testament, about 200 times, the word believe is the requirement for salvation, is to believe in Jesus. In the book of John alone, there are 98 times or so. You can count them yourself. Get a Strong's. Count them now. 98, or you can go to some other sites and they'll tell you. References to believe. And remember, believe is more than mental assent. You know this. You're good Bible students. It means commit to, place your trust in Jesus as your sin bearer, as your Savior. But what about repentance? Because there are some people in the free grace movement that say repentance is not necessary. And I would argue that that is not true. And I would argue it this way. This would be my view of it. When one believes in Jesus, places their trust in Jesus, a person realizes their need for a Savior and repentance will take place. See, I think repentance is wrapped up in that word, commit to, put your trust in, follow Jesus. Okay? So believe and repentance go together. You cannot have one without the other. I think they are both part of the same package. And I would suggest to you, salvation is not about taking certain steps that we must follow to earn salvation. Salvation is nothing that you do other than receiving the gift. And I do not believe that receiving the free gift of salvation is a work. 
There are some people in Christendom that believe it's a work. I do not. And if you want to talk about that more, I can prove it in Scripture. A person must believe and receive the gift of salvation. Now, what a person does after being saved that a lot of people believe grants salvation. Some people believe in baptismal regeneration. That would be false. Baptism is, is, is a requirement that Jesus, well, it's, not, it's, it's a command that Jesus gives us, but it's not a requirement for salvation. It's a public declaration of your faith. Jesus commands it in Matthew 28, 19. A believer should publicly confess to other people that they are saved. Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That is something that you should do as a, as a Christian. A believer should turn from sin. You put off the old man, put on the new man, Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. A believer should obey the teachings of Jesus. Look, at if you're really in this thing, you're going to obey the teachings of Jesus. Obey gives evidence that you love Jesus. Jesus says this in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It's really clear. But these are after salvation things that happen. Remember, all world religions and all cults are working their way to God. No one can. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. There's none who is righteous in the sight of God. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Christianity is not about working for salvation. God has done all the work for you. Christianity is about believing and receiving the gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 could not be clearer. For by grace you are saved. They'll come up on the screen through faith. The subject here is salvation. It is not grace. It is not faith. It is salvation. By grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. But don't miss this, which is not on the screen. But we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works post-salvation. Okay, we don't get saved by our works, but our works demonstrate that we're genuine. Okay, at least we can say that. So Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship with the living God. No other world religion has this except Christianity, a relationship. Now, in closing, and you guys think you're going to be done early? Well, you're not, because it just keeps going, and it just keeps going. <laughs> Regarding challenging Jesus, these hyper-religious zealots challenged Jesus, and they came away limping, limping. They came with pomp and circumstances. They, they went away limping, angry, and they wanted him dead. Regarding fear, the believer, just everybody hear this, the believer is to fear God only. You don't fear, well, I think it's wise to fear the spiders and the snakes. That's all post-fall stuff. After we get in the kingdom, there's not going to be all that stuff here. But we're, we fear a lot of stuff that we shouldn't fear. It's wrong for a believer to fear anything else, but we do. Chuck Missler says this on fear. One of these, I have four of them. One of them will come up on the screen, and I'll tell you when, Maritza. Fear and worry is not trusting in God. Fear and worry is assuming a responsibility that God did not intend you to have. 
okay? Worry is this. It'll come up now. Worry is a trickle of fear in your soul that cuts a, a crevice so deep that it drains all other thoughts away. All you can do is think about that worry source. And with worry, joy flies right out the window. Now hear Jesus on worry. In Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus is telling you a command not to do it. If we worry, I believe it's a sin. I believe we're sinning against God. Now, we're not going to get this perfect. I think everybody has this enter into us from time to time. Let me just stick a spider on your chair or something. You'll, you'll see. But the, it's a command that Jesus gave, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Do not worry about your life. Your Father will take care of you. Do not worry about your stuff, which, by the way, is fleeting. And if you don't believe in entropy, go look at your new car. It's dent that you might have just got in the parking lot. Entropy is real. Everything is unwinding. Do not worry about what you should eat or drink. Your father knows you have need of these things. This is really important today as the meat factories are burning down in droves. As cattle are dying by the thousands. As food shortages are coming more and more popular today. But do not worry. And this one will come on the screen. Please do not worry about tomorrow. And watch Jesus counsel on this. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not project into the future. We live in today. We prepare for the future, but we don't live in the future. We all have the fear, worry gene, folks. Nobody is exempt to this. No one is exempt. It came in at the fall. Adam was afraid and hid himself. We all have this to some extent. And we are told to fear not, stop worrying. The question is this. It's easy to say, hard to do. Particularly with 24-7 inputs that you're receiving today in your, in your brain. And I would suggest this. That the wrong stress at the wrong time can send anyone into a downward spiral of worry. And the downward spiral of worry looks like this. I'm telling you, this is what happens to you. Oh, gosh, what if? Oh, what if? Oh, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And then you get to, oh, no. We've all been there, at least to some degree. Some people have more difficulty with this than others. I can identify with this. What if? What if? What if Biden gets in office again and all of, all of my money has gone on my 401? It's gone anyway, folks. They're going to a new system. Globalism is coming. Everything's burned up. Yeah, that's right. When worry happens, take a hard stop. Do not live in what-if land. Do not live in oh-no land. Don't live there. Live in trust land. And remember, Richard Farmer, I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's what we do. When you really trust the one who holds everything in the palm of his hands, then the trickle of fear will drift away into meaninglessness. And you will then be able to say, my God has rescued me. If you're not close to God, you can't do this. You have to dwell in Christ. And you have to remember these things. You get, when worry hits your house in the next 24 hours, it'll come in. It'll, somehow, it'll come into your being. 
Remember, God is my refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is my way maker. God is my rock. He is my fortress. He is the one that holds me up. He is my deliverer from all fear and worry. So when worry, when worry overwhelms you, take a hard stop and know your God is with you. He'll take you through the fire, through the storms. It isn't going to be a picnic, but he will be with you through it all. Regarding the way of righteousness, there's only one person that can get you to heaven. That's Jesus, and you know this. We talked about one gate. Well, there's one road. I'll give you the road this time. You've seen this road many times. The people, the majority of humanity by the billions are going down the wrong road. This is tragic, but it is true. Jesus said, few people will enter through the narrow gate. And you might feel like the lone ranger walking down the road in your workplace, in your family, or wherever you are. Stay the course. Don't drift off with the majority. There's one door, one gate. And I wanted to show you this one gate again, this this, this picture of the one gate. Now, you have heard many people speak contrary to this gate. Jesus said, one gate. Oprah says, many gates and many roads. Deepak Chopra, who is on Oprah's show, many gates and many roads. Gandhi says, oh, there's many gates and many roads. Now, who and, and many Christians today have bought into this many gates and many roads things. That's hogwash. That's hogwash. Stay on the narrow way. Who are you going to believe? Jesus or these people? Jesus said very plainly, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. That's it. That settles it. And remember this. When you are in the minority, and folks, we are in the decided minority. We are in the minority. We are the minority of minority. Real Bible believers are the minority of minorities. Remember this statement. It is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. And as a matter of fact, the majority are usually deceived by what they hear over and over. Charles Riley wrote a, wrote a book, Salvation So Great and Free. Remember that. Jack O'Dell said this, Salvation is moving from living death to deathless life. Alan Redpath says, The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment but the making of a saint is a task of a lifetime. And then Jim Elliott lost his life to those Indians. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Folks, it's all about believing and receiving the gift of salvation. And I would suggest that if anyone in this room hasn't done it, they do it now. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Or if you hear this on a tape sometime or on a video or on YouTube or wherever you see this, Today is the day of salvation. It is not promised to you any other time. When the Spirit of God deals with you, that is your moment. And then you too, you believe and receive the gift of salvation. You, can, you too can join the chorus of believers through the epochs of time who can say like Job, my Redeemer lives. You'll see verses coming up here, Job 19, 25 through 27. Now look, at Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job has no idea about Jesus. He knows about a promised Messiah coming. He has that somehow in his mind. But as for me, I know. This is a man in the midst of, you get to Job 19, this guy has got the boils, he's dying, he's suffering, 
He's miserable. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar have confronted him, confronted him, confronted him with his sin, and he stood there saying, I am innocent. I'm innocent. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. I hope you do. And he will stand upon the earth at last. He believes that Jesus is coming, Messiah is coming. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. You also will. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes, and I am overwhelmed at the thought. I hope you are too. I know that my Redeemer lives. Remember, Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Someday those words will be especially important to you. The day you're ready to cross over or the day a loved one has crossed over. Knowing that my Redeemer lives will mean everything to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us through all the trials of life. And they do come at us, as James says in James chapter 1, various pokleos, polka dots, various shapes and sizes, and they just keep coming. And we know that's the nature of life here. And Lord, we know that you are with us through all of the trials, that you are indeed our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. When we go into fear land, may we take a hard stop and may we connect with you and drive fear away so at some point it becomes meaningless in our lives. I will trust in the Lord, not in the situation. We love you, Father. And I pray that you do a work inside of each one of our hearts today as we draw closer to you, more disconnected from this world, and more connected to our God. May we walk with the peace of God and the joy of God in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.